I'm pulling out of the parking lot. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. And I dropped my daughter off to camp again. Okay, so today is another in my series, 20 Lessons, 20 Podcasts, where I'm talking about the 20 lessons I've learned over 20 years of designing magic that I gave in my GDC speech. So, so far, I've talked about how fighting against human nature is a losing battle, how aesthetics matter, how resonance is important, how to make use of piggybacking, and how to not confuse interesting with fun. Today is all about understanding what emotion your game is trying to evoke. And so I'm going to talk about emotions today and emotional responses. I have all sorts of stuff to say. Luckily, I have a whole car ride to say them in. Okay, so let's start with my examples. For each one of these, I start with my example, and then I sort of get into the lesson as a whole. Um, Okay, so first... Okay, oops, sorry. Got to avoid hitting other cars. That's my, once again, number one rule here on drive to work is drive safely to work. Okay, so let me talk about my example. So my example was Innistrad. Okay, so when I sat down to make Innistrad, um, Magic had done top-down design before. Richard Garfield had done Arabian Nights. Um, Brian Tinsman had done Champions of Kamigawa. Um, we had definitely done a few sets where we sort of started with flavor and designed to match the flavor. But I had never done that. So my first chance doing that was Innistrad. So Innistrad started simply enough saying, okay, we're going to do horror, gothic horror specifically, but we're going to have a, a world which plays into the genre of horror. And um, so what I wanted to do was figure out what would people expect. Um, and so I, I figured out, like, oh, we want to have monsters, and there, what, what are the tropes we wanted? And, you know, I, but one of the things I really needed to figure out was what was going to tie it all together? What was going to make Innistrad design sing? Uh, and the thing that I finally realized, because what I did is I went back to look at the films. Because obviously, um, you know, whatever you're trying to do a genre, you're looking at the things that most define it. So, yes, there's, there's horror stories in books and TV, and, but films really are the place where the most definitive things happen. So I said, okay, well, what, what happens in the films? And one of the questions I asked is, how do the films make you feel? And that was really important, because what I realized was, is I was trying to capture the feel of a horror movie. Uh, and what is that? Well, it's trying to scare, scare you. It's fear. It is trying to make you feel unease, trying to make you feel nervous and afraid. It's scaring you. So I said, okay, well, what do I need to do to scare people? I want to scare the audience. Magic traditionally doesn't necessarily create a sense of tension. It can, but it's not the default for magic. But could I do that? So what I needed, I realized what I needed to do was I needed to figure out a way to sort of create suspenseful moments in magic. Okay, well, one of the ways to do that is, what if you know something bad is coming and you're waiting for, for it to come? Um, like, one of the things, uh, Alfred Hitchcock talked about the difference between surprise and suspense. And he says, surprise is two men are in a bar, uh, it's like in a coffee house or something, having tea, having coffee, uh, and a bomb explodes. That's surprise. Um... Suspense is two men are, are in a coffee shop having coffee and you see a bomb under their table slowly ticking down and you cut between them having their conversation and the bomb ticking. That is suspense. Because you don't know when the bomb is going to go. When the bomb just explodes, okay, you're surprised, but when you know it's coming but don't know when or don't know whether will the men finish their conversation before the bomb goes off, you've created suspense. 
So one of the things I want to do is say, okay, I want to create suspense in the game. So the first thing is we played this idea of dark transformations, which is we had cards that had two different sides. And one of them was the werewolves. So the werewolves were human on one side, and then under a certain condition being met, which is no spells get played, they flip and become werewolves. So one of the things that was interesting is when you play the human side of werewolves, the human sides aren't the scary part. The human sides, they're okay, but they're not particularly scary. The werewolf side is what's scary. So one of the things is you would play these cards, uh, you play the human, the human werewolves, and the, your, your opponent knew that under the right conditions, the werewolves were going to come out. That is scary. Or I made a mechanic that was all about things dying, morbid. And the idea was, now whenever something died, you had to worry, like, uh-oh, am I about to get punished? Is morbid going to happen? So, like, I made mechanics that really played into that. Same with, with flashback, is you'd have things that went to the graveyard, but they could cast the spells again. There's always this thing of, oh, I don't quite know what's going to happen. I don't quite know, you know, there, I wanted to create suspenseful moments. I wanted to create something when people played, the way the game played is they weren't ever quite sure of what was going on. Um... And the key to this, the reason this gets to today's lesson is that one of the things I think when people make games is that they very much think about, um, like I, tell, I talked about last time, interesting versus fun. I think people think a lot more about intellectual stimulation than they do about emotional stimulation. But in the end, when, when, when you try to figure out whether or not someone had a good game, um, people tend to talk it in terms of fun. It was fun. Um, not, that it's, not to say that you can't have intellectual fun, but most of the time what fun means is there was an emotional response. You know, fun is I, I enjoyed myself or I, I, I felt and experienced something that was enjoyable. Um, and so one of the big things I've learned is understanding what emotion you're trying to evoke in your game is crucial because a lot of cr- creating the experience you want to create, making a game that is memorable for the person who plays it, has to do with are you creating the proper sort of emotional stimuli? Are you making them feel something? Because um, in the end, like so I've talked about this many times, but um, it's at, uh, uh, apropos for today, um, is one of my themes uh, as a writer, um, uh, I talked about this, how I, I took a class and the teacher wanted you to the teacher explained that all writers have a theme. And if you read a writer enough, you'll realize that there's some inherent theme to their work. And that since all writers have a theme and you're a writer, what is your theme? And the theme of my writing that I found out is I love this idea that people want to think of themselves as intellectual creatures. But in the end, we make all our major decisions on emotions, not on intellect. That, you know, I know we like to think that we think things through. But in the end, it's our gut and our emotions that tend to drive our actual decision-making. Um, and so it's important when you get to games, you think about games, that you want to realize that. That what's going to make somebody appreciate your game or love your game or play your game... The, 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 the test I always talk about is you play your game once. And we always ask, when we do focus testing, we always ask people, would you play this again? Would you want to play it again? And if they say, no, your game is in trouble... If they say yes, that doesn't inherently mean you got a hit on your hands, but it means you're going in the right direction. That you want to create a play experience where the end of the play experience, that the, the player goes, I had a good time, I want to experience that again. That was fun. 
usually outside of a very successful, um, one of the questions we will ask is, first we say, would you play it again? Uh, we ask if you would recommend it to somebody else, and we also ask them, um, normally when you do um, focus testing, we, uh, you get paid. That's normally what happens when you get people in. Uh, and one of the questions they ask sometimes is say, you say to them, would you be willing to give up some of your money and in its place get a copy of the game? So that's one of the best questions because it's like, would you actually purchase this game? Because if people do not like the game, they will not purchase the game. If I say, do you want to give some money and have this game? They have to really enjoy it to go, yes, I would. Um, and so one of the things you want, when, when you're making a game, you want your audience to be invested in it. And be invested, that means having an emotional response. So when you sort of dial back, what that means for you, the game player, is what, what are you trying to make your player feel? That's a very important question that a lot of players, a lot of designers, I don't think think about or not think about enough. What are, what are you trying to make your players feel? What Now, here's the important thing to understand. It is not... In, you want them to feel something. It doesn't... A lot, a lot of times people think that in order for someone to enjoy something, you have to make them feel only positive emotions. And that is not the case. One of the things is, people do enjoy experiencing different emotions as long as it's in a safe place. What I mean by that is one of the reasons that games and movies and stuff are... are for example, being afraid is generally not a positive experience. So why then do people go see horror movies? You know, um, sour food in general is not particularly a great sensation, but why do people like to taste sour candies? Um, there, there are things that people do that like in a vacuum, like why would people like that? So, um, so I'm going to talk about a play I did to, to explain an important lesson I learned. So in college, I wrote a play called Lego My Ego. Um, and the premise of the play was the main character is trying to make a big decision. And, but rather than see the character, we go inside his head, and the whole play is his emotions arguing about this decision. Um, and in it, I had a lot of mix of characters. Um, so there were 13 characters in the play. See if I can remember them all. Um, so the, there was the ego who ran the meeting. There was the id and the superego that represented the two sides. And then there was, let's see, there was love. There was lust. There was curiosity. There was bitterness. There was guilt. There was curiosity. There was depression. There was rationalization who crashed the meeting. Not actually an emotion, but she crashes the meeting. Um, and there was anybody else there's 13 characters no there's 11 characters so um, anyway and the idea was they were all arguing about different facets of it um, and so I was really trying to hit different qualities you know uh, to try to oh the paranoia was also an emotion um, so one of the things that was interesting when I did the play was I knew for example that I could make love a fun character um, but bitterness would people like bitterness or depression or paranoia like, some of these were very negative emotions. Um, and so one of the things I experimented with was how funny did I want them to be? How, how, how enjoyable of characters? And, and the lesson I learned is what made depression fun for people was how depressing depression was. What made bitterness fun was how bitter bitterness was. And what I found was if you took depression's lines in a vacuum, they were just nothing but depression. They were depressing. Because all, th- all depression did was say depressing things. 
but what made it fun for the audience, and the audience really got attracted to a lot of the what I would call more negative emotions. And the reason was, what was fun was that no matter what the situation was, depressing found a way to make it depressing. That any topic could be depressing, or paranoia could be afraid of it, or bitterness could be bitter about it. That the fun of the characters was as long as they experienced that emotion purely, you know, that I had to make sure that depression was depressing. If depression was depressing, depression was very funny because it was fun to watch how depressing depression was. Which was a little of a time, it, 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 I, I assumed the more positive emotions would be more well-recepted and the negative emotions not. But what I found was the negative emotions people really got into because when you're in the safety of something, when you're in a play or you're in a game that, or a movie, you know, it's, you know you're in a safe space. Like, actually being afraid is not fun, but being afraid where you know, hey, it's just make-believe on a screen is fun because the emotional rush is exciting, you know? And so that one of the things I say to people is you need to create an emotional connection with your audience, but that emotion that you're, you're stimulating doesn't necessarily need to be a positive emotion, doesn't need to be happiness, you know? What you want to do is you want to really evoke something. And I've seen games... You can make people sad. You can make people afraid. Make people guilty. You can make them. You can make them all. You can make them angry. You can do all sorts of things. But as long as the game is sort of presenting and people get to see the the purity of what they're doing, people can be very excited by it. And that your game does not need to be. Oh, I've just made them happy. Um, but once again, you they have to understand the context of the emotion you're doing. Take uh, Indestrad as my example. I was trying to make them afraid, not because inherently being afraid is fun, but I was trying to have you experience something, and the thing that you experience, you associate with those emotions. So if I'm going to have you play with monsters and you know vampires and zombies and werewolves, and I'm going to hit all the tropes of the of horror movies and, and such, well, I want you to sort of have the uh, the correlating emotion to go along with that. And what happened was people really enjoyed that; they enjoyed the sensation. Now, one of the things I've learned is when designing games is I want to each year make different emotions. One of the fun things about magic, the reason magic's lasted so long, is, you know, each magic expansion is kind of like a new game. It uses the same rule sets as the old game, so it's easy to learn because you already know the basics of the game. But essentially, we keep making new games, is the way I think of it. It's like, I'm a game designer, and I make lots of games. They just happen to share a rule set so they're easy to learn. So that once you know how to play one version of the game, you can easily play the other version of the game. But what I'm trying to do, what emotion I'm trying to evoke in one set is very different. Okay, so let's, let's contrast. I was doing Theros a couple years later. So Theros was a Greek mythology-inspired set where I was trying to tap into Greek mythology. So the interesting question I had there is, okay, well, what emotion am I trying to evoke out of my players? Um... It was, industry was a little easier. I was doing the horror genre. That's about fear, very clearly. That, that's not a giant surprise. It's about fear. So the question was, okay, Greek mythology, it's not about fear. What is it about? So I spent a lot of time, energy, reading Greek mythology stories, you know, I watched the food movies, thought about what exactly was I trying to do. And what I eventually realized um, was that if I could get people to think in a certain way... Um, I had to match what kind of feelings were you trying to have. What, 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 was, the, what was the general feeling? Um, and what I realized was the stories I was trying to tell, the, hero, like the, the myth of the epic hero, that's kind of the core of a, of a 
Greek mythological story is somebody goes on a quest and, you know, you know, meets with the gods and has to do mighty things to prove that they're a hero. What kind of story was I telling? Um, and what I realized was the stories were all about growth. That a character would go on a journey and they would become a hero. Monsters would grow. You know, that, that there, there was all this idea that, that you know, the, the gods sort of were trying to get people to, uh, you know, want a devotion from their followers and that would grow. Um, what I realized was that I was making a game that was all about sort of the excitement of, uh, of growth, of that things were, were getting better and that there was this accomplishment. So I really said, oh, well, this, this one's a more positive one. It's about building something, it's about creating a sense of accomplishment, of, of, of working up and making something. Um, and so Theros came from a very different place. I wasn't trying to scare the opponent or scare the players. I wasn't trying to create a sense of tension. That's what I was doing for Innistrad. What I was trying to do for Theros was create this sense of achievement, this, this, this sort of um, a sense of accomplishment. And so I built in a lot of quests and tasks and things for you to do were like I was trying to make myself better. Now, it could be I was using the heroic mechanic and I wanted to make my hero better by targeting them or do, doing something like that. Could be I had my monsters. I'm making my monsters better by using the monstrous ability and upgrading them. It could be I was playing with gods and I was playing with devotion. And I was just trying to get my devotion up to make my gods more powerful. That, but in each case, I was going in a certain direction. And so one of the things to realize is you want to match up your what your game is doing with what your emotion is doing. That, that's my common ground is that it's not enough for your cards to hint toward the emotion. You need the gameplay itself to create that sense of emotion. Now, the big lesson today is not that you need to have a, a specific emotion. You know, the thing today is... Sorry. Um, little traffic there. Um, the thing today is to learn... Um, to figure out what emotion your game is doing. What are you after? What are you trying to evoke? If you can figure out what you're trying to evoke, then you can, um, you can work at figuring out how to create that emotion. Once again, that there's an important tie between if you want your players to feel something, you have to give them the gameplay that encourages this type of feeling. So whatever your emotion is, let's say, for example, you want to make them mad. Well, what, what are they doing in the game that will make them mad? If you want to make them excited, one of the game will make them excited. Um, now, that doesn't say... Um, that's not to say that you can't create multiple emotions by, in your game, but you do just need to have a focus. You do need to know overall what you're trying to do. Now, your game can, swift ge- can shift gears. Your games can sort of go for one emotion, change to a different. Like, one of the things that's possible is... I mean, the more you control your narrative, the more you control, like... One of the things about magic is uh, we don't have a lot of control in what our players is go- are going to do in the sense that they pick which... There's a lot of, of self-control of what they're doing. They get picked to pieces. Um, and so in magic, we have to be much more focused because we have to have all the things going in the same direction because we, if we want people to experience something, if some of the set does one thing and some other, then, well, maybe they do something, maybe they do the other. It's hard to have the consistency. So magic is kind of unique, uh, or not unique, but magic requires having a little more direct focus than some other games. Now, if your game has sort of a narrative quality where, like, you're following the story along, well, it's okay. Then you can have exciting moments and scary moments. You know, you can change things up a little bit. Um, But that's more important where you control 
the narrative and the mechanics so at any one moment you can have that experience. But the thing to remember is, as people are building, as you're designing your game, is um, you want to understand what the end state of motion is. What are you trying to create? And then think about, is your mechanics evoking that? Are your mechanics creating the sense that you want? Um, and that one of the things that's good about playtesting is, um, once you understand, and be aware, it, it's not that you're going to start your game and know exactly what you're trying to do. Anistrad, I had a general sense because I was doing something top-down. Like, I was trying to capture, you know, a certain genre, and that genre, okay, that it's associated with a very specific emotion. Um, but I do other sets that are a little more complex. You know, like Greek mythology, Theros, for example... Well, Greek mythology is not as cleanly and clearly connected to an emotion, although there are, I could find emotions once I understood the stories. Um, but let's say I'm doing something else, like, um, you know, last year I designed Battle for Zendikar. That was a two-sided conflict, um, and I was playing an interesting trope space. Like, one of the things there was um, I was trying to get you to... to the, the, the battle was what we... Uh, once again, I was trying to play into trope space. And trope space there was the idea of rebels versus the establishment, versus the empire. And that one side is established and has all the dominance, and the other side, you know, is a ragtag bunch that's in trouble, that they, on, like, sort of on paper, they shouldn't win because they're outnumbered, but they care more. They're the, you know, they're the, the, the plucky rebels. Um, and so there's a sense of... Um, the emotion I was playing in there was the idea of, okay, what, what emotions are we playing into? When you see Star Wars and you see the rebels fighting against the Empire, what, what's going on there? And the idea there is this, this righteousness of, you know, we have to do the right thing. Like, we have, we have the right cause, you know, and that there's something fun there, the idea of, you know, fighting to protect what is yours. And so we really played around there with Battle for Zendikar. Um, you know, before that, we did Khanzi Tarkir, and Khanzi Tarkir was this warlord world, this sort of um, Asian-inspired, you know, world of war. Um, and we definitely wanted to create a sense of conflict, and I had different factions. And um, now, another thing, for example, like Ravnica and Tarkir are factions, one of the things I also tried to do is, not only was there a tone for the whole set, you know, like, clearly there, it was a war-torn world in uh, Tarkir. I wanted to create a sense of people were, were fighting and just, like, you know, there was... It, it was a, a ruthless world. Um, it's one of the reasons, like, our, the main character chooses to try to change the world. What, you want to create a world that felt really ruthless, and so I centered my mechanics in combat, so there was a lot of fighting going on. You felt like you were constantly fighting. Um, but then what I did is, for each of the factions, I tried to give them a different sense we gave a word to each of the factions of the thing they were fighting for. So, like, the Jess guy were all about cunning, uh, and the, um, you know, Teamer were about savagery. Um, and part of that also is, is to give a sense of what you were trying to achieve, what you wanted. Um, and that's... I guess let, let, let me deviate a little bit for today. Let me talk a little bit about, about why emotions matter. Why do you care that your audience feel something? Why can't your audience just think? In the, you know, like, what... Obviously, games are mental exercises, and there's a lot of mental challenging going on. Why is the emotion... Can I just mentally challenge them? Can I just test their skills? Why do I need the emotion? Why does that matter? And the answer is that um, the way humans experience things is they sort of judge based on 
the impact on them. Um, that when, when, I, when you talk to the average person and say, how was your day? Um, you don't tend to get a neutral state of the state of the day. What you tend to get is how the day impacted on them. Now, different people will look at it differently. You know, some people are more about how it made them think and somehow they made them feel. Um, but in the end, it is very much about how did it impact you. And when you're making your game, you want to think about that, which is um, your players have a lifetime of experience. And what you want to do when you play in a game is you want to tap into things that they already have. I talk about this in piggybacking, I talk about this in resonance, that um, your goal when you make a game is not to start from scratch. It is not to say, um, I have a blank piece of paper and a bl- you know, my, my, my player is a blank piece of paper that I can then do whatever I want to. No, there are people that come with, come with, with lots of baggage, if you will. You know, they're they're uh, preloaded, I said in my talk. Um, and so one of the things you want to think about is, okay, I'm trying to evoke a response out of them. How do I do that? Uh, and my answer essentially today is their emotions are the most um, universal and powerful things that are going on. That if I really want somebody to sort of have a strong feeling, well, I, emotions are the place that allow me to do that. That emotions are very potent. But, but, and this is the important thing, um, emotions are pretty universal. Um, that what is sad is pretty universally sad. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's a 100% uh, crossover, but um, if my goal, like, you know, obviously my background is writing. If I want to write a sad story, I can write something that people will find sad. There's just universal sadnesses, if you will. And there's things that will make people angry that's pretty universal. There's people that make people scared that's pretty universal. That one of the things about emotions is not only does everybody feel them, not only is it something that everybody can connect to, but it's something that everybody can connect to together. Um, And it's one of the reasons that... Because when you're playing a game, remember... um, I mean, they're solitaire games, but most games are not solitaire. Most games you're playing with other people. So part of trying to understand if someone's going to enjoy your game is not just do they enjoy the game in a vacuum, but do they enjoy the experience playing with other people. So this is important. That when you are interacting with other people, the interaction with the other people has a big role to define how they feel about something. And so what you want to do is you want to make sure that those other people are... you. One of the things that's very important about gaming in general is you can create bonds between people. But that doesn't happen necessarily... Like, you, the game maker, can help work toward that. You, the game maker, have some way to um, input how much interaction players have. And one of the big ways to do that is are you finding universal truths that people can connect with? Um, Now, we talked about resonance earlier, and resonance is one of those ways. That one of the things that helps when we do Innistrad is... Zombies mean something. That people have seen zombie movies and TV shows and zombie comics and zombie books. Like, the, the zombies have an emotional meaning. And so when people see zombies, they have a certain feel. And other people can have those feel. And then you sort of create bonding moments because people, um, people can sort of share on that. Um, 
That's why resonance is important. But emotions are, I would argue, even more important than resonance. Yes, a lot of people have seen monster movies. Yes, a lot of people, zombies mean something to them. And that's important. Obviously, one of my big lessons was all about resonance. But today, I'm saying a slightly different thing, which is if you can get your audience not just to feel things, but feel the same things with one another, that is super potent. That if you can get your audience to be afraid, but not just afraid alone, afraid with other people, then you create bonding moments. That one of the things that most, so this is a little psychology for you guys. One of the things that most bonds people together is when you have shared experiences. That for example, they talk about how one of the most um, bonding things is war, is fighting together in a war. Because you are feeling really strong, intense emotions and the same emotions at the same time and you're doing it together. That a lot of bonding is shared emotional experiences. This is really crucial. If bonding comes through shared emotional experiences, then having a universal emotional experience is key to helping people bond through your game. And and I, and I can't stress enough that at the end of your game, like one of the things that's interesting is I've talked about how when I was in college, I had a group of friends, and we would we played all the games we owned, and then we would eventually start to go out to the game store and buy a game and bring it home. And one of the things that was very interesting is, at the end, after uh, you know college was over, we had all these games that we as a group had bought. So we divvied them up and we gave them to people. So there's this one game that we played, um, and it was a game that involved, like, you, you saw... Um, ink blots, and then you would write what you thought they looked like. Um, and then people would try to guess who said what. Um, but what happened was, the game for us became this game where we were just entertaining each other. That part of the fun of this game was we were trying to make each other laugh. And so you, you would try to see things that you could get other people to see, but go, ooh, they had, other people wouldn't think of it that way. But you were trying to really get it. So what happened was you would see these, these ink blots and then you would try to get people to see things that you could see that were funny. And we would laugh and laugh and laugh and, you know, it was really, it was a, we really enjoyed the game. And then what happened was we divvied up the games, one of the games I got, and then I, I tried to play with a different group and they didn't understand, like, the game, my game group had sort of said, you know what, this game isn't, we want to make this game fun. What do we need to do? And we sort of came up with something, and the group made the game fun. But the game was not inherently fun. A lot of what, a lot of the silliness that we put into it wasn't inherent in the game. The game didn't require you to be silly. So what happened was, you know, when I took this game to other people, because the game itself wasn't inherently silly, the game group had made it silly because the base game wasn't that compelling for us. What happened was, what I realized was, I had not realized that the game, the, the group had made the game fun. The game hadn't made the game fun. And I played the game with other players. It just wasn't fun. And I had this weird moment where I'm like, oh, this is such a fun game. What happened? Why is this game fun? And what I realized was um, a good gaming group will find ways to make games fun, even games that aren't inherently all that fun. And that one of the things when you're a game designer that you want to do is you don't want to leave it up to the group to make it fun. You want to make it fun. 
you want to make the game inherently fun. And what that means is, if somebody plays it with one group and then goes and plays it with a different group, it's still fun. Because it's not the group that makes it fun, it's the, it's the, the game itself. For example, my little inkblot game that I was talking about, if the game had kind of encouraged silliness or encouraged, you know, the kind of things we were doing that we enjoyed, you know, but it didn't. You know, it just said, so what do you see? Is it a dog? You know, and we were getting a lot sillier with it, but when other people sort of saw the inherent game, they just did what the game told them to. And that's another thing. Let me, this is a theme you're going to hear a lot from during the, these talks, is don't blame your player for doing what the game tells them to do. That when, a, when a, someone sits down to play a game, the, un, the, the assumption is the person who made this game knows what they're doing. Okay, I'll do what you tell me to. And there's a trust. There's an inherent trust between the game designer and the game player that if you, the game player does what the game designer tells them to do, there'll be a fun experience. And if there's not, if there's not a fun experience, then guess what? The game player blames the game designer. And guess what? They're right. It is your job as a game designer to make a game that unto itself creates a fun experience. Um, and, and today, I mean, I'll get into other things as we go along in these talks, but today it's all about, look, you want to create an emotional bond between your audience and the game. You want to create an emotional bond between your players and other players. You know, you want to create a fun experience, that a, a fun bonding experience. Assuming it's a two-player game or more. Um, so I want to make a fun experience of single player, but no, we're bonding in single player. Um, and so the idea is that if you are consistent, if you understand what emotion you're trying to get, what emotion you're trying to have people share, if you're consistent in that, that increases your chances of the individual having fun and of the group having fun and of the group bonding over the game. Because one of the big things about, about any game is there, there is a group dynamic that goes on in games that I guess it's important to understand that the group will only play something that the whole group wants to play. Now, here's how that dynamic works. Um, games fall into three categories. There's positive association, there's neutral association, there's negative association. If a game is positive with everybody, you know, it's easy for people to pick and play it. Everyone's like, I like that game, that's fun, boom. You can get everyone to play it. If some people are neutral and some are positive, you still can get it. The neutral people aren't going to push for it, but if there's enough positive people, the neutral people will go along. It's, it's not a game that necessarily they would promote unto themselves, but they've played it. It's fun. They're willing to play it. But then you get to the negative experience. When the negative experience says, I didn't enjoy that game. I don't want to play that game. And unless you have an overwhelming number of positive, a single negative will drive the experience from happening. What that means is, let's play a game. So let's say there's five people who want to play a game. If one of those people thinks negatively about your game, you are in trouble. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe the other four are really positive about it. Maybe they override the negative. You know, It's not impossible, but just having a single negative makes it so there's a good chance of going somewhere else. That one of the things in, when people are picking games is what we, I, I, veto power, which is... It's not that people let other people necessarily dictate what you do play, but they do give people power to sort of steer away from things. What should we play? How about this? Eh, I don't want to play that. You know, um, like there's a, there's a game we play, uh, R&D used to play quite a bit, when, when you go to lunch, uh, and the, the lunch game works as follows. Somebody makes a suggestion of where to go. 
Anybody else can veto that suggestion, but if they veto that suggestion, they're forced to come up with an alternate suggestion and something they're willing to do. So it's like, do you want to get pizza? No. How about sandwiches? And then anybody else can veto that idea, but they must always create an alternate. And the idea is that you always it, it provides a sense where people then have a choice of accept or veto. Um, and I think the way people play games is kind of similar. What game do you want to play? Well, somebody will s- suggest a game. And then other people kind of go, no, I don't want to do that. And then they tend to offer up other games because, like, I don't want to play that game. Well, how about this game? Um, and so the reason that the emotional thing is also important is not only will it make people more likely who play your game the first time to play it a second time, but it makes it more likely that when in a group dynamic they can play it. And that is very important. Um, so, the... Uh, lots of, lots of individual components here. I'm, I'm not too far from work. So let, let, me, let me wrap this up a little bit. So, um, the dynamic today that I'm talking about is making sure when you make your game, you understand, under, underlying what it is you're trying to get people to do. So, so, question number one I would ask myself if you're making your game, what emotional output am I trying to get? What response am I trying to get out of my players? Um, and I would say when you're designing it for the first time, create a singular emotion. I, I do believe on more complex games, especially when you control the narrative, you can change the emotion. But I think when you're starting out, figure out the one emotion you're trying to get. What's the key experience? What's the key emotional experience? Number two, then say, okay, if I'm trying to create this response, what are my mechanics? Are my mechanics doing that? Are my me- like, when I was doing Innistrad and I was trying to create a sense of suspense, are my mechanics creating suspense? When I play this mechanic, is there a suspenseful moment? And if there is not, I have to do one of two things. I have to rethink what emotion I'm creating, or I've got to rethink my mechanics. But your key mechanics have to be pushing toward the emotion you're trying to get. If they're not, then that's not the thing you're trying to do. If the main thrust of your game is not doing what you're saying, you know, not creating the response you want, well, then it's not succeeding. Um, now... Once again, sometimes it's very clear what emotion you're doing. Sometimes it takes a while to figure it out. But it's an important thing to understand. That when people play your game, what are you trying to get them to experience? Um, And it needs to be a little more than, I want them to have fun. That's the easy fallback. I want them to have fun. How? Why? What are they doing? What, you know... um, So, be aware of what emotion you're trying to do. Number two is make sure you have the emotions that reinforce that. That your emotions play out the things you're trying to do. Because if you don't, if you're like, I want people to feel mad, but my mechanics are all about feeling happy, well, then I'm not going to create the, I'm not create the effect I want. So you have to walk through and understand that. Um, number three is to understand um, that you don't necessarily need positive emotions. Um, and I'll stress this again, my, my, my sort of Lego the ego lesson, which is people can really positively respond to negative emotions. But they need to be in the context of what that is. And remember, games can have a safe space where people are like, okay, it's not real life. That if I experience something, much like watching a movie, there's some distance because I, I know I'm experiencing, like, in role-playing or games in which you're sort of, you know, taking on characters or something. One of the things that's fun is to experience things that in real life would be upsetting, but in a context of I know they're not real aren't. And that's another place where, where emotions can really shine is where you let people sort of feel darker emotions. 
And I know there's a resistance. One of the things people seem real afraid of is I have to make people smile. I have to make people laugh. I have to make people have fun. And it's all about like happiness. I must create happiness. And the thing I will say to you is there's a lot of like, Indistrad being an example of the day, there's nothing about being scared that is inherently happy. Um, but it can be fun because in the safe space of the game, we're like, okay, you know, there's not actual zombies about, you know, it's all in a game. It is fun to run through that and experience that. That having emotional, like, people, people will constantly do things. Like, people will jump out of airplanes. People will eat crazy sour things or crazy hot things or, you know, people will do things that in a vacuum seem like, why would somebody ever want to do that? Why would you want to jump out of a plane? But there is an excitement that comes from jumping out of a plane. There's a fear that comes from jumping out of a plane. Why would somebody want to eat the hottest Tabasco sauce they can? Well, there's, there's emotions that come with that. There's an experience that comes with that. And that if you could experience some emotion in a safe place where you don't like, like, look, true fear where you're truly in fear of your life that's not fun. No one's experienced that. But something in which, you know, I'm jumping on a plane and I have a parachute and like, okay, it's going to be scary, but I, I honestly feel I'm safe in doing it. You know, there is a lot of fun there. And so remember when you create your emotions, understand what emotions they are. Um, and make sure you look for the universality of your emotion. That if I'm trying to make people sad, make sure that I'm... One of the traps you can fall in sometimes is you get a little too niche in your emotions and make sure that you're broad and that if I want, like, a good example with Innistrad is I was trying to create suspense. I didn't do that one way. I reinforced that multiple times through the game, not just because I wanted to have the game feel as suspenseful as possible, but also I understood that what, what made one person feel suspenseful was not necessarily what made somebody else feel suspenseful. Yeah, there's some universality to it. I'm not saying that, there, I mean... The nice thing about emotions is there's some general things you can do that usually work. But the other thing you want to do is you want to sort of have a breath of emotional experience within the emotion you're trying to do because different people will latch on to different things. Like if I'm trying to get you suspenseful, maybe some people, like for example, the werewolves are very much, I sit in play. I sit in play and you know it's going to happen and you know what the thing's going to be. This is a lot like the bomb under like, okay, I know it's going to happen, but is, is it going to happen next turn, the turn after that? I don't quite know when it's going to happen, you know? And maybe, for example, I have some instants in my hand. I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta hold on to them. So every time they try to turn the werewolves, I, I cast a spell to keep it from happening, you know? Um, and that one of the things that's really interesting is that that was a different experience from something like Morbid where every time something dies, I have to worry, is something going to happen? that I was creating suspense in different ways. And so one of the things is, when you're trying to create emotion, make sure you do it in a bunch of different, like, different people will respond differently, so you want to hit your emotion multiple ways. One, to ensure it happens, and B, to, or sorry, two, to make sure that it hits people as strong as they can. Because not everybody's going to experience the emotion. Not everybody's going to have the same touch points. And so if I want to create something, yeah, there's universality to it. I think I can make people feel suspenseful. But it's possible that a certain kind of suspense is less suspenseful for player A than player B. And so having a breadth of different things do that. That if I'm trying to make people sad, I want to hit that in a couple of different ways. If I want to make them angry, I want to hit that in a couple of different ways. When I want to make them suspenseful or afraid, I want to do that in a couple of different ways. Um, and that makes a breadth of experience, and it ensures that different people who, who might connect differently find their way to connect to it. The final thing 
um, and come on, I'm almost at work. The final thing to remember is when you are playtesting your game, watch your playtesters. That one of the things that's very interesting is um, that if you're trying to evoke something, the true test if you're trying to evoke it is does that emotion get evoked? So one of the things that's and this is really hard sometimes when you're playtesting, but it's important. Shut up. Shut up, shut up, shut up. Watch them play. Listen to them play. You know, do not interact with them. Do not... I guess there are playtests where you can't interact. But in general, you want to have some playtests where all you're doing is observing. Um, you're just seeing what they do. And a sign that you're creating the emotion you want is when you're playtesting, you actually generate that emotion. Oh, I want people to be sad. I play. I watch them play the game and go, oh, they're actually sad or they're actually afraid. or Whatever emotion you're trying to do, watch them. That is really important. That is not just, it's not just enough to say, this is what I want to create. You have to take steps to do it, and then you have to check and see, are you doing that? Are people feeling the way you want them to feel? Are people having the emotion, emotional response that you're trying? Um, the other final thing I will say is, um, sometimes what will happen is you'll try to create emotional response A and get emotional response B. That is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, just look and watch. Sometimes what will happen is you think it will make people feel a certain way and universally people feel a different way. Maybe that's fine. Maybe, like, you're, maybe in the end that thing's a good thing that people enjoy how that makes them feel. Um, just like anything else, you can aim for one thing and end up hitting a different thing, but that different thing can be perfectly okay. Just make sure that when you play test, it's you're not just play testing. Do people understand the rules? You're play testing. Are they feeling what you wanted them to feel? And you get that by watching them. You can ask them questions at the end as well, um, but really from watching them, experiencing the play. But anyway, I am now at. Oh, we had a little extra traffic today. I'm now in my parking space. So we all know that means means this is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.